Hey listeners, we have a new partner to bring you even more laughs. Cottage Comedy Digital brings you the very best in comedy specials, albums, podcasts, and original series. Check out cottagecomedy.com for all their hilarious content. Welcome to Moms Are Not Funny, the podcast where we, two wannabe comics, interview comedians about the moms that influence them and their sense of humor. We will also chat about their favorite mom comedians and the impact they've had in the comedy world. I'm Jen Richardson. And I'm Christine Hall. Okay, here we go. Today we have with us Paul Bellini. He is a former writer of Kids in the Hall, and he was also the towel guy. You might remember him in the Poke Bellini sketches. He uh, also wrote for This Hour Has 22 Minutes. He has a band with Scott Thompson called Mouth Congress. And he also uh, teaches comedy for George Brown Humber and The Second City. Thanks for coming on our show, Paul. Thanks, Jan. Thanks for having me. Hi, Christine. Hello. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I want to know about Mouth Congress. If you could elaborate, that would be amazing. <laughs> well, you know what it was? is when, I, when we were kids, Scott and I always hung around, right? We went to university together, and we always had a million things on the go, like making little films and drawings and stuff. So one day, a friend of ours had a rock band, and we thought, we want a rock band, too. So I rented a beatbox, which back in 1984 was just this ridiculous thing that it did all like salsa and merengue sounds. It was hilarious, right? And we went in the basement and we jammed out about 30 songs. And we realized that songwriting is a lot like sketch writing. It's, it, they're literally the same length when you get right down to it, three or four minutes. And they kind of express ideas in the same kind of way. So um, songwriting became something we did alongside sketch writing. And eventually the TV show took precedence because nothing is more demanding than a, a television show. And once you're in production, you don't have a life, right? And such an awesome television show too. Thank you. And, Kids and in the hall. Successful because we were, we did it for five and a half, six years. Yeah. Um, wow. And in that time, all our mouth Congress energy was zapped from the kids in the hall show. Cause we'd started doing live shows with our band. We did multiple recordings. We were really getting into the idea of being gay punks. This was in the eighties when there was nobody was really out at all anyway. Um, and we liked the fact that we were taking a straight male format, being rock and roll, and repurposing it for ourselves, you know, our, uh, the way we wanted to exhibit our ideas, that sort of thing. So um, we did a ton of work and then forgot about it. And around 2011, I was looking at some old videotape and I thought, oh, my God, we should do a documentary. I had footage of Scott on stage stripping down to his underwear, covered in sweat, <laughs> screaming his head off like Iggy Pop. And I thought, you know, if people heard that Martin Short had been in a punk band and there was footage of him doing this, they would probably think, I got to see Martin Short doing that. And I thought, well, that means Scott fans might actually want to see this. And that became kind of the basis of this documentary that we literally took almost 10 years to make. Uh, and of course, it's it's premiering um, March fifth at uh, the Kingston Canadian Film Festival. So finally, it's going to get a public screening. 
Um, nice. In, in the meantime, we put all our songs on Bandcamp, and we were discovered by a record company in Brooklyn called Captured Tracks, who specialized in weird archival recordings. Like they did an album of Ben Stiller's punk band from the 80s. And they were very interested in what we were doing. So they put out a single uh, last August for us. And um, they're working on an album, a 30-track retrospective. So Mouth Congress, all of a sudden, now that I'm in my 60s, all of a sudden, Mouth Congress is sort of becoming a viable thing. We haven't made a dollar, trust me. It's a money-losing game. <laughs> but um, for me and Scott, it's great because we're comedians and writers. So all of a sudden, to have a, another side gig uh, that works out well is, is, for us, very refreshing, you know? I think it's great that it came back. It's like never give up on your dreams. And that's what this kind of story is. <laughs> well, if that's your full circle. I think more of it was um, what am I going to do with all this old junk? Maybe there's an audience. <laughs> Maybe our existing fans will be interested. So um, I just, I wish I could have seen you like go pick up the beatbox. <laughs> oh I hope that's God. in the documentary. <laughs> oh, you know, the beatbox doesn't exist anymore. It's 1984. No. I wish I had purchased one when I had the chance because they're, they're <laughs> such cool little things. You know, you hit a button and it's like, da, 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 Done. Da. I know it's great. I, I bet eBay has one. Maybe. Yeah. It's, it's not too late. Don't give up on your dreams. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. um, so, uh, so you wrote for Kids in the Hall, one of the most successful Canadian comedy shows ever, mm -hmm. and so funny. Um, and you know, I still quote it to this day, and it's how many years later? Like, yeah. I, I still crush people's people. heads. I squish people's heads all the time, uh -huh. you know, when I think about the chicken lady and like, so what was it like? Like, how did you, you know, how did you get involved? I Like, were you involved from the beginning? Um, how did the towel guy become a thing? Like, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I'll give you short answers. Uh, I knew Scott in university. He was a crazy mm -hmm. actor. I was a crazy filmmaker. We both failed at what we did, but we loved doing it. <laughs> we kept working together. And uh, around the same time after we graduated, he joined uh, theater sports, which was this thing that used to happen every Wednesday night at Harborfront. It was basically improv games with two teams okay. competing. And there he met the other four. They were all in different troops. And Mark McKinney decided to put together a super troop. I started going to Kids in the Hall show basically as soon as they started performing as uh, that was originally six members. So I was there from the very beginning, but not as a performer, as an audience member. Um, and I made myself useful, um, basically, so that when they got the TV show, uh, they asked me to come along. And I was very grateful because I knew it was a chance to make a career. And um, I went from being an office temp to comedy writer in literally one day wow and as for the towel guy um the kids <laughs> wanted to do a contest in second season they wanted to gauge, you know you do a contest to gauge your audience uh, devotion generally if you get three to five percent of your audience responding 
that's great. It allows the advertisers to sort of set a dollar rate and the broadcasters to figure out how much to invest in the show. So they decided the contest prize had to be something really interesting and really unique to the kids. At one point, Bruce McCullough suggested a car, but not a nice one, an old shitbox box from the scrapyard. <laughs> we literally mail it to the winner. But the cost of doing that would have been, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. So uh, all of a sudden, Mark stood up and said, I think we should just send them Bellini in a towel. And everybody <laughs> was laughing. And it was just one of those magical moments where uh, they all looked at me and I said, sure, without really realizing what I was saying, sure, too. And the next <laughs> I'm standing in Withrow Park being photographed in a towel. And I thought, well, this is interesting. I, my work is never boring, that's for sure. And it's, it took <laughs> Were off you ever that. scared the towel would drop? Well, I always wore underwear. <laughs> I was never okay, naked. I underneath. Yeah. I, know. I can't um, find a towel right now that will fit around me. <laughs> oh, well, that's true now for me. Uh, they don't make them big enough. <laughs> no, I need a bath sheet. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I also, I'm uh, not a vain person. And uh, I understood that my body, such as it was, was a comedic thing. And I didn't mind being a visual joke. In fact, I thought there was some honor in it. And um, I like the fact that I had to, like, was given no lines, that I had to do literally everything with my face. And I thought, this is good. This makes me feel like a silent comedian, like Buster Keaton. So I really enjoyed doing it because it was so easy. There was nothing to memorize. <laughs> you know what I mean? You didn't have to do anything except stand there. So. And um, so you you teach comedy. Uh, Paul, for those who are listening, taught me twice at Second City. So why did you decide to start to teach comedy too? Like first of all, let me say, she was a fabulous student, or else I wouldn't be on this. <laughs> um, why did I start teaching? Desperation. Uh, you okay. know, I get that. Happens, um, I had a series, the jobs I was getting towards the end, like around 2010, 2011 were some of the worst jobs I ever had as a writer. Um, I was hired to do a Halloween special for the band Half Japanese. And the brothers proved to be utterly insane and impossible to work with. So that was one thing. Um, I was on a cooking show called You Gotta Eat Here. So I'm writing up food descriptions without the benefit of actually ever tasting the food or anything. So it was the most pointless writing. And also the the host and the camera and the director, they never even read my scripts. They didn't need them. I was just writing them to keep the <laughs> network happy. So at a certain point, you think, my God, my jobs have turned to shit. Like I used to have such great jobs on 22 Minutes and uh, this other show I did mm -hmm. called The Next Show in Locker Room. They were small, uh, small little shows, but they were creatively satisfying. And all of a sudden I found myself writing stuff I hated, shows I would never watch, just really cashing a check. So a friend yeah. of mine suggested I go to Second City and teach a course. And I thought, I've never taught anything. I don't know how to do this. But... Um, I picked it up right away and I had an aptitude for it. And I realized that by teaching people how to write comedy, I was learning about it myself. And in fact, I became a better writer as a result of being a teacher. So my career went backwards. I, I wish I had had that much talent when I was doing the shows. 
but now I'm actually better at it. Yes. Okay. So, you know, our podcast is called Moms Are Not Funny, and it's because we want to know from the comedians, like the moms that influence them. So we would love to know, you know, who uh, the moms in your personal life influenced you and your sense of humor and that kind of stuff. Well, yeah. No, forgive me for the digression, but when when you were in my class, um, didn't weren't you inspired because a lot of your friends were becoming mothers and you weren't a mother at the time, and you said a lot of girls become really boring when they become mothers. Wasn't that the evidence <laughs> for a lot of what you were doing in class? <laughs> I had um, a, on my website, I Jen talks too much, I had a subsection yeah. of it called The Non-Mom, yeah. where I would provide unsolicited parenting advice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and some of my mom friends loved it. And some people got offended, but I was okay with that. Um, and it's not that they became boring. It's just like, how often do I need to hear about your birth plan? Like, come on. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I uh, since uh, became a mom and I have become a stereotype. <laughs> so the, the, I love it. You're being paid back for all that uh, humor. A hundred percent. You know, I think mothers are are fascinating comic characters, and we really don't see that much of them. Like on Kids in the Hall, of course, Scott used his own mother, um, his own mother, to create the Fran character, and she was a hundred percent like that character although oddly enough when she came to a show and he said mom what did you think of the show she said it was fine and he goes what did you think of the character of the fran of mother and she goes i don't recall <laughs> and i thought <laughs> oh, she either didn't register that it was her or was just simply being really polite um but my mom was a stage mother she always encouraged my showbiz aspirations, even if they were crazy. I think she really liked um, movies, TV, and music. And she liked having a kid who was, had an aptitude for the arts. And she really did. I swear to God, she was really very encouraging. My father, not so much because, like a lot of dads, how are you going to support yourself? That's always his concern. And... To be fair, it's not the kind of career that has uh, 100% a support level. I've gone through periods of poverty and despair where your career just isn't working. And other times when you're being paid a ton of money to do a TV show or a tour or something. So it's a very, like compared to his life where he always had the same paycheck every week. Mine was never like that. So I understand his problems with it. Um, but my mother loved the fact that I was on TV and dressed in funny costumes. That to her was what life was about. She's a real Italian that way, you know? So I had, I had a super supportive mother. And my mother was also a little on the crazy side. Um, like she would talk to herself. She would sing and make up lyrics, uh, do dances. She'd do whole choreography routines in the kitchen. Oh my um, God. <laughs> I wish I grew up in your house. <laughs> oh, she, she was alive, but 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 her father was like that too. I always say that my grandfather and my mother and me were the three good time Charlies 
of the family. <laughs> we love to entertain. We like to put on a show uh, very much about um, inviting friends in and that sort of thing. And my mother was always the queen of that. Everybody came to our house and everybody loved coming to our house. Um, you know, when she died a year ago, I looked over at all my old videotape and there's this one fascinating section where she's showing off a new doorbell that she had installed and it plays snippets of various famous tunes like um, uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic and Mary Had a Little Lamb and London Bridge. And she, she kept hitting the button and singing phony <laughs> lyrics to the songs. It was just the funniest thing. She was, um, she loved to have a good time. She was also a pathological liar. She lied for the <laughs> pleasure of it. She would tell a story, but she had to embellish all the details and make it way more fun than it actually was. Or sometimes she would just lie for like no reason at all. Like she'd say things like, yeah, we were in the grocery store and the kids were just being out of control, running up and down the aisles. And I'm thinking, that's not what happened. But if I said anything, she'd hit me and go, don't contradict me. <laughs> I thought, wow, <laughs> believes her stories. It was hard to tell with her. She was a, a, a very creative and kind of crazy lady, you know. But um, everybody loved her because she definitely had that social skill of always being in the moment and being fun. She was a fun person. Did she ever want to, like, did she have dreams to perform herself or was she happy just like entertaining other people around the house? I don't think that was ever an option that entered her mind at any time in her really? life. Um, she was not like someone who, got, she grew up in the 40s. I don't think there was any opportunity to, mm. to get on stage or anything. No, I think she liked to enjoy that through her children. She lived through her children. Love it. Yeah, I remember when I, I was in my first high school musical, she volunteered immediately to help backstage with the costumes because she really wanted to see the excitement of backstage and she loved it. Her and all the other mothers, oh, look at the kids. They're so funny in their costumes. We did The King and I. So all of us were dressed <laughs> like, um, um, you know, like uh, whatever with, what do you call those outfits? Like not yeah. songs, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Uh, yes. Whatever. Um, and we looked hilarious. What? Togas? Togas? Sort of like togas, yeah. And we looked hilarious because we're all like 14 or 15 little fat kids dressed as <laughs> togas, pretending to be in the court of Siam in, what, 1840. <laughs> um, so cute. So she really encouraged that kind of nuttiness. She loved it. She loved my involvement with kids in the hall. She loved that her son was on TV that was to her just the greatest. What was her favorite sketch that you wrote? She loved them all, which means she probably wasn't watching too closely. <laughs> What's your favorite one that you wrote? Um, my favorite one that I wrote with Scott was probably Needed Elsewhere, which is the gay couple inviting the straight couple over for dinner. And one of the gay men is running upstairs to do cocaine because he can't stand being in that house and uh and everyone's wondering why he keeps going to the washroom i i, I just i'm very fond of that sketch. oh my god i love it yeah what about um sitcom moms like growing up watching tv did you guys watch tv a lot oh well in timmins there's really nothing else to do you're either playing hockey or you're watching tv 
Um, sitcom moms, you know, I don't remember that many other than like Edith Bunker and yes, yeah, a couple of others that were big in the 70s. I remember Maud. Beatrice Arthur is Maud, and she had an adult daughter named Carol. And because she was a, a devoted feminist, she wanted her daughter to really have, be an autonomous woman. And um, I remember thinking that was really cool, but it was like nothing I knew from my experience. It was looking like looking at Martians, honestly. Um, but it was later on, I think, you got sitcom moms like Roseanne or... Mm -hmm. um, Claire Dunphy, I think, is an excellent sitcom. Yes. Mom. I enjoy yes. uh, that show a lot. Um, but yeah, it, just, it was never something that was, say, to Thompson on Family, but she wasn't funny. That wasn't a sitcom. You know, when you think about it, there aren't that many depictions of moms in general. Because I was thinking about even movies, and a lot of the moms in movies are actual monsters. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like the mother of the Manchurian candidate or uh, Anne Margaret and Tommy. Like they're really not good role models. <laughs> or or Mrs. Robinson and the graduate. These are deeply flawed people. <laughs> That's fair. Mm. Um Meryl Street often plays a good mom. Yeah, a different, like, a big range of different moms. Yeah, yes. she's all kinds of good mom. Yeah, like, one true thing, she plays, like, such a good mom. And then uh, we just watched, uh, is it Ricky Flash? So oh, she's, yeah. like, in a band. And she's, like, a horrible mama. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, like, it was it's just, like, she can play so many different roles, right? Yeah. Mama Mia. <laughs> mama Mia. Here we go again. Um, what about uh, stand-up comedian moms? even harder to come up with names you know i mean joe rivers always had melissa she had melissa her daughter but i don't really remember a lot of female stand-up comedians talking about their children and i think it was to protect them like i know stand-up dads who've talked about their kids like louis ck had a very famous routine and i think um, was it bernie mac talked about uh, his kid having gay tendencies so we're not talking about the nicest stuff being said on stage, but I can't even remember a, a stand-up mom. I guess Ali Wong, because she's been on stage pregnant twice, but so even, I can't remember her talking about her children necessarily. I mean, yeah. can, you can think of, because I'm coming up blank. Well, it's not even necessarily talking about their, like their material being about their kids per uh. se. Um, but like, uh, Roseanne comes up a lot, like as well, cause she's a standup, uh, like Lucille Ball comes up a lot, uh, in terms of comedy. Um, Rosie O'Donnell is out there too. Oh, right. Know, her, like, Wanda Sykes. Yeah. Talked about her kids. yeah. Oh, I, I love Wanda Sykes. Yeah. I loved Rosie O'Donnell's after school show. Like when oh. she'd like catch that weird ball all the time. Like <laughs> you know what? She's making a huge uh, hit on like TikTok right now, and I can't. And she's just like, I, that was like she was one of the first ones that made me want to go into it because I'd hear her talk about like when she first started and stuff, and it was like, whoa, this, this was super cool. But that show made me so happy in my early twenties. Like I lived on it. Wow. And, um, are you on TikTok, Paul? 
Uh, Scott and I started a Mouth Congress channel, and we have, I think, oh, three or four clips. Um, it's hard <laughs> I haven't seen Scott much lately, physically. And, um, I wonder why. Well, just because of COVID. <laughs> we talk on the phone all the time. But uh, we haven't had a chance to really beef up that TikTok page. Yeah. Can you think of the funniest thing uh, a mom in your life has done? Well, I do remember one night, and this is a memory that I cherish from when I was about 12 years old, some company dropped by, and we rarely had alcohol in the house. My dad would have like some homemade wine and maybe a bottle of Royal, uh, Royal Wedding or some horrible whiskey. Um, but there was never, we never had that much liquor in the house. We weren't drinkers. And some people came over and um, the woman asked for a um, rum and Coke. <laughs> My mother made it with rum flavoring, <laughs> the, the, you know, the baking extract. <laughs> for like rum bottles? <laughs> yeah. She just put some of that in a Coke with some ice and said, here, give it to you. You won't know the difference. <laughs> Did she? I don't know. She she didn't suggest that. It, I mean, you can tell there's no alcohol in a drink, but it was so funny. Probably, like, probably like, why isn't this hitting? Like, it smells <laughs> yeah, like exactly. alcohol. That when you really <laughs> drunk, yeah. Um, so, yeah. But so so she 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 gave this this rum <laughs> cocktail. Yeah. <laughs> I was what so about, funny. <laughs> and she made you in on it too like she didn't even hide it from you <laughs> oh no she couldn't because i was the server right come here i have to i'm gonna give you a drink you gotta bring it to her <laughs> sort of thing, right? tell her it's a double <laughs> <laughs> i made it strong <laughs> oh she was crazy uh, oh my god i love her do you, is that woman still around? Like, could you ask her, like, if she ever noticed that the drink that she had? <laughs> <laughs> that woman was my best friend's mom growing up. And her name was Deanie. And I love this woman. She was very different from my own mother. She was a very tall, uh, big Dutch lady. And she had the best taste in everything. Her living room was like... Um, like the pages of Architectural Digest, everything was beautifully appointed. The walls were covered with beautiful artwork. She always had fresh flowers, um, beautiful furnishings. I mean, this woman really knew how to live. And we didn't have that. We just had a very functional, horrible Italian middle-class house, right? Was she, uh, was she not from Timmins? No, she actually was from, she was born in the Netherlands and she um, came to Canada oh, okay. when she got married. And she had this European old world style that I really admired. And she was a great. That's awesome. So uh, she is still alive as far as I know. In fact, she called me right after my mother passed and we had a nice chat, I guess about, about a year ago. Um, but she's getting very old, poor thing. So I hope she's still alive. I think it's time you call her back and ask her if she ever noticed. She remembers? <laughs> was this signif as significant in your life as it was in mine? <laughs> uh, you know, she likely give a very gracious answer. Like, I don't recall. <laughs> I, 
<laughs> inside she's like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it was rub extract. <laughs> rub extract. <laughs> but yeah, she was she was definitely, I would say, another one of those mothers growing up that had a lot of influence on me because she was so different mm -hmm. from my own mom. And yeah. I saw her a lot. I was in her house a lot growing up. So um, so without mentioning the moms that you've already said, mm -hmm. who are the top five favorite moms of all time? And it can be fictional or they can be fictional. They can be real. They can be um, historical. They can be like just like your neighbor. So other than the people that you've already mentioned. Okay, five. Let me think. Um, okay. Um, there was a, there's an Italian movie called Bellissima with Anna Magnani, the great um, Italian actress. She plays a stage mother who brings her child for an audition, and she's obsessed with making her child a star. I think she has a little girl, like about six or seven. And her spirit is broken when she overhears the producers making fun of her child. And it's just mm -hmm. heartbreaking because all of a sudden she does a complete 360 and she just wants to get her kid out of there and protect her kid from these horrible people who are going to exploit her and insult her. And uh, that's definitely one. Um, the mother from Postcards from the Edge that's played by um, Shirley MacLaine. Shirley MacLaine. Oh, I love that mother. I mean, she's great. Isn't that the one where she flashes a bunch of kids at a party? She doesn't have I think to so, yeah. That's, that's incredible. So this mother was you, Christine. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mama Rose from um, Gypsy, I think, is a great mother. Love that movie. Oh, oh, I know. My absolute favorite is Judy Garland because Judy Garland mm. was a mess, but mm -hmm. you don't think of her as a mother, and yet her, her three children never complain about her, only say great things mm. about her. Uh, really, they, they, they have the best memories, and they live terrible lives. They were always being dragged places and everything, and sometimes they had to deal with their mother's addiction and poverty and stuff and, you know, the craziness. But she seems to be actually a fierce, protective mother, which I think is really fascinating. Mm. Um, oh, and I love... Divine in Hairspray, Edna Turnblad. <laughs> I know that she's not a real woman, but yes. I love that. A real woman. Yeah, a real woman. She, she, again, fiercely protective of Tracy, her little daughter. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the one thing you always want to see in a mother is that fierce protective protection instinct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I could go that's on. A good one. There's others that I find interesting. Um I, I'd love you to go on. <laughs> I'm enjoying this list. <laughs> I, I find Mia Farrow fascinating. You know, she has 14 mm -hmm. children, not all of who are still alive, by the way. And only, I think, four are actually biological. The rest are adopted. But there's a woman who devoted the later half of her life to raising kids. Uh, Angela, mm -hmm. Angelina Jolie has six kids as well. So sometimes you get these, these Hollywood moms that, they love to adopt, like, like, you know, it does seem kind of like rescue. They're rescuing children. But at the same time, they're giving them opportunities they might not otherwise have. And again, they're very protective women. They, they, they guard their children. Um, 
So I think seeing that instinct to play is always really admirable. Yeah. I, uh, I have tremendous respect for people who adopt children. Yeah. There's so many babies out there and children and teenagers that need to be loved and people who are willing to bring them into their home. I just think that's a glorious, glorious gift. I love the movie. uh, It's called instant family. It has, I think it's Mark Wahlberg. I can't remember the actress's name, but it's so touching. They adopt and it's, it's so touching. And it's based on a true story. I have not seen that. My kids love it. Then I say, okay, mommy's going to adopt. And they're like, no. My youngest is like, no. Hell no. <laughs> like, stop. You, you can never she, ask, she, don't ask kids for their opinions about anything. <laughs> she <laughs> loves that movie, but she, she wants to stay the baby. She's so yeah. like adamant. Like, don't ruin what I got going on here. <laughs> <laughs> so um, where, can, where can everybody find you? Like, where, like what social handles should they be Googling after this? Um, I don't know, like I'm on Facebook and stuff. So that's usually where fans track me down. Um, I occasionally check things like Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, but uh, not on a daily basis. Facebook, though, usually is open and I scroll through it because um, there's always some kind of news or article or something. Um, where can they find me? You know, the Mouth Congress movie, like I said, is premiering March 5th. Uh, Kingston Canadian Film Festival, which is all, of course, online. But Scott and I will be doing a Q&A after the screening. And um, that's it, really, other than promoting some Mouth Congress stuff. Uh, the Kids of the Hall are reuniting for six or eight new episodes on Amazon Prime. And nice. they're shooting in Toronto this summer, I think starting in around May or June. Um and I think it's fairly likely that I'll be putting on the towel again. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what I haven't seen scripts yet, but um, I was asked earlier if I was interested. And of course I love putting on the towel. It's, it's not something. You- Get that towel back on. <laughs> oh my God. I'm such a whore. I just love. <laughs> I have no shame. Um, so, so yeah, you can probably see me on TV at some point. So. Okay, I can't wait. I really hope it's more than one episode. I hope Uh, we get to see you in a towel several times. And and also, (laughs) if anybody wants to take my my, uh, comedy writing class, Mm -hmm. I would recommend the George Brown one. It's probably uh, the easiest one. My name is on it, so you know you're definitely going to get me as an instructor. And uh, I love doing it. I love teaching comedy writing. I think it's really one of the most fun things I can do. and uh, it pays. It pays well. So good, nice, love good. it. Yes. Well, thank you so much for oh. being on our show. Thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. Uh, thank thanks, you. Jen. Thank you, Christine. It was a lot of fun for me too. We want to thank Laura Bella for our logo design, CMD Productions for our audio editing, as well as each other and you, the listeners. We'd love it if you could give us a review wherever you're listening. You can find us on socials at Moms Are Not Funny. Thanks again. Have a great day.